0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in-between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Nami Hinui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. Matthew Savoka recently completed a PhD at UC Davis in the United States, investigating why seabirds eat plastic. I'm Alison Balance and I caught up with Matthew on Hoturu, Little Barrier Island, when he was helping out on the Northern New Zealand Seabird Trust's New Zealand Storm Petrol Project. So Matt, on the boat on the way out here to Hoturu Little Barrier, we saw a large piece of floating rubbish and when we stopped and dragged it aboard, it turned out to be a large plastic bag, a very large plastic bag, filled with balloons, helium-filled balloons. Hmm. So plastic rubbish. And we've been hearing quite a lot on the news in the last year or two about quite how much plastic rubbish there is out at sea. Why
1: is plastic rubbish an issue for seabirds? It's an issue for seabirds for a number of reasons. One is uh, seabirds can get entangled in it, and that's a big problem, of course. That's typically for the larger pieces of marine debris, sort of like the plastic bag that you were describing if it had come loose uh, a bird that was diving down for a food morsel or it could have confused it for a food morsel and gotten tangled in the bag so that's one issue Um, another major issue though um, is that they confuse plastic pieces for food so these are of course smaller plastic pieces that they can fit into their mouths Um, and when they do that there's all sorts of problems that can result from that and many many species eat plastic so it's both the ingestion of plastic and getting tangled in plastic that's a problem for many seabirds
0: So why are they mistaking it? Are they seeing it and
1: think, gosh, that looks like fish eggs or a jellyfish or something? Or is there something else going on? Right. So that's a great question. And it's sort of still an open one. And so my brief answer to that is it's probably all the above and then some. I mean, if you think about how we eat, um, you know, we don't select uh, something to eat because of just one sense that we're using. We make a decision based on all the sensory information that we have of whether or not something is worth eating, which includes social information, are other people eating it? Does it look good? Does it smell good? And then once it's in your mouth, does it taste good? Do I want to swallow it? Um, And we make these decisions so instantaneously, we don't really think about the sensory processing that goes into those decisions um, but so why are seabirds eating plastic but well, the brief answer is it's probably a multitude of issues related to the fact that plastic is really confusing for these animals both by the way it looks and potentially by the way it smells or tastes uh, and maybe other birds are eating it around them um, it's probably a really complex issue as opposed to something super simple like it just looks like food or something like that
0: so let's step back a second before we get to why they might be eating plastic because it smells like food. How would they normally find their food out at sea?
1: Right. So seabirds, especially the tube-nosed seabirds, things like petrels and albatross and shearwaters uh, and storm petrels, are fantastic smellers. They're some of the best smellers of in the animal kingdom. They have wonderful noses. Um, they're sort of. I've heard them described actually as noses with wings. Um, Lovely. And yeah, yeah, it's an interesting concept. But so for some species that have been studied in this group of birds, these tube-nosed seabirds, they have the most sensitive noses of any animal that we've ever tested for the certain sense that they're attracted to. And these scents are related to their food and they use them to find food in the open ocean because you can imagine uh, or you can try to imagine yourself as a bird on the ocean and there's not very much visual information to make a decision. It's not like, oh, go to the corner and make a left and then when you see the big tree, make a right. There's is just ocean. So how do you find your way around? And what's been shown by lots and lots of research long before I was around, actually, was that these birds actually use olfactory or odor landscape. So these different pockets and scents and concentrations of odors at sea to make decisions about where to forage and what to forage on. So their sense of smell is really important in a grand sense of how these animals find food.
0: Is there a particular compound that they're looking for?
1: Yeah, so it actually is pretty dependent on by species, which is kind of interesting based off what they eat. Um, So, for example, storm petrels and shearwaters that like to eat little plankton a lot of the time, small little things, um, they're interested in phytoplankton-derived compounds because the little plankton that the uh, storm petrels and the shearwaters are eating actually... they eat uh, phytoplankton, and when that phytoplankton dies because of the krill that's eating them, it produces this odor, and the birds come to that phytoplankton-produced odor not to eat the phytoplankton, but to eat the krill that's eating the phytoplankton. So those animals are responsive to to um, sulfur-based compounds, which are phytoplankton-derived. And that's kind of interesting because they're not vegetarian. Um, They're all carnivorous. And so they're actually coming in to eat the krill that's eating the phytoplankton. And other animals, other seabirds, things like albatross and other petrels, larger petrels, are also attracted to the smells of uh, fish and uh, krill as well. And it seems like storm petrels and some of those smaller petrels that nest in burrows are attracted to all of the above. So all these compounds, like fish and krill and sulfur compounds from phytoplankton. Um, So they're all related to their food, but sometimes not actually their food, which is kind of interesting.
0: How does plastic come into this? Because surely plastic smells like plastic. So why would you mistake it for food?
1: Right. So some of the work that I've done fairly recently has shown that when plastic floats out at sea, lots of stuff grows on it uh, because it's a great sort of a petri dish for growth of biological life out at sea. And uh, one thing it's a great petri dish for is algae or phytoplankton. The reason for that is because lots of plastic floats and algae is, of course, a plant. And for a plant to grow, it needs sunlight. So you have this floating hard substrate on the surface that algae attaches to in really high density and then gives off this odour which these animals can and potentially do mistake for food so it's not actually the plastic it's the stuff that grows in the plastic at sea
0: you talk about an odour landscape out at sea could this be partly why these seabirds are able to come ashore and land in what seems quite dense forest and find a burrow on a dark forest floor do you think they're using smell for that as well
1: Oh yeah, it's been shown that they that they're using smell for that. I mean, not every species has been studied, of course, but those that have been studied um, has shown that they use scent at a number of different levels. They use scent to, to find the island in which they're nesting, and then once they get to that island, they use scent at a finer scale to actually find the burrow, the correct burrow to go into, because you don't want to go into your neighbor's house by accident. That could lead to some messy situations.
0: What's the most amazing thing do you think
1: about seabirds that perhaps people don't realize? One thing that's really interesting um, that I think a lot of people don't realize about seabirds is that many of them actually nest underground. So this is in burrows that they dig themselves most of the time that can be a meter or more long uh, underground. And so you can be in a seabird colony basically and not even know it. For example, earlier today, I was on a hike on Little Barrier Island where we're studying these storm petrels. And on the hike, there are all these different holes in the ground. And if you didn't know any better, you might figure, "Eh, I don't know, some lizard or something lives in there. But actually, I was on a hike and standing over the burrows of probably hundreds or maybe even thousands of Cook's Petrels. And they're all underground, sleeping during the day. And they come out at night and they spend their days on the sea and they return to their burrows at night. So I think that's also part of the issue with seabirds is that a lot of people might not appreciate them because you just don't see them. Because even when they are on land, many of the species are actually underground. So that's, I think, a really fascinating thing about them as well.
0: What I love about that bit of the seabird story is the impact they have on the ecology of islands like this. So, you, you know, you think of them as being part of a marine food web. They are bringing that marine food web ashore.
1: That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think one of the things that makes seabirds so, so special is there's very few animals that, um, in fact, none that I can think of besides seabirds, that indicate the health of both marine and terrestrial environments. Because seabirds need both to thrive. Um, and they need both to be healthy to thrive. And without even just one, uh, seabirds cannot make it. And so if you have lots of seabirds around, as you do in New Zealand, then that means that those places where seabirds are breeding, typically on offshore islands, and the marine waters are doing quite well. Um, and so that's a humongous value of seabirds to people, is to indicate not just how marine environments are doing, but also how their terrestrial environments are doing.
0: That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld.